Welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Each day we'll look at a text from the weekly readings from the Westgate Church Bulletin. We will look at background material and also application of the text. So once again, welcome to the Illuminated Word Podcast. Today comes from Psalm chapter 7. In Psalm 7 we have a heading, a title, and it talks about words concerning Cush, a Benjamite. We have no idea who Cush the Benjamite is. And there's no place in the corpus of Scripture where we find this story or this situation. So we have another story of David. David is in peril, and we don't really know the exact situation. So it is interesting to try to think through, okay, when did this happen in the life of David? So all the different times David's on the run, uh, David is basically running for his very life. We know that happens twice. We know Saul pursues David. We also know that later Absalom, his son, will drive David from his own kingdom, and David has to run from him also. So one of those episodes, this probably happened. Let's read through this entire psalm. Uh, This is the English Standard Version. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it. Let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Selah. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over it return on high. The Lord judges the peoples. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is within me. O let the evil of the wicked come to an end. And may you establish the righteous. You who test the minds and hearts, O righteous God. My shield is with God, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every way. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his daily weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit digging it out and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. So this is a pretty complicated psalm. As you break it down, you realize the first two verses, we have terror and protection. David is terrified of what might happen to him. He could be ripped to shreds like a a lion or an animal rips its prey apart. And he goes to God for protection. Then in verses 3 through 5, he does something interesting that we as moderns, maybe we would never do this in our prayer life, but he says, look, if I'm guilty, If I've done the things people have said I've done, let them have me. Let them kill me. Let them trample me down. And the word there for trample is like grapes being trampled. It's also the word used for Jezebel later. It means let me be killed is what he's saying. So if I'm guilty, Lord, I need to die. I deserve it. Then in verses 6 through 9, we have these entreaties to God. Arise, O Lord. Awake. Decree justice. Now, this word justice is one of the main themes of this psalm. You'll notice it appears over and over again. Uh, We would say righteousness. 
And the word here, justice, is misfat. Misfat in Hebrew would be a legal term. And in a Hebrew law court, it would be different than our court system. You know, we think of Matlock and the other shows we've watched with courts where you have a, a court with a jury and a judge and plaintiff and defendant. Well, in Hebrew law court, there'd be one judge, there'd be a plaintiff and defendant, and that is it. There'd be no jury. God is the judge. And so David here is the defendant. And the plaintiffs are the people that seek his life. And he wants God to render justice, in his case, righteousness. That's another word we could use here. Then in verses 10 through 13, it's God getting ready for, for judgment. He's get, getting ready for warfare. He's getting his sword sharpened and ready to go. He is bending the bow, ready to come after the enemies of David. And then in verses 14 through 16, he turns to this final fate of the wicked who pursue him. And the wicked who have dug this pit out for David, they end up falling in their own pit. When I read this this morning, I thought about Haman. Remember Haman and Mordecai, he had built these gallows in which Mordecai would be hung and killed, but actually Haman will be hung up on those gallows. So as they devise this trap for David, they will fall into their own trap. So as we think about this idea of righteousness of God, let's consider that for just a minute. If you go back to Psalm 5, we talked about the holiness of God in that podcast and how righteousness flows from God's holiness. God is always righteous because he will have nothing to do with evil or wicked. By his very nature and his good nature, he will judge that which is evil. He will put things right. One part of Hebrew justice and Hebrew righteousness is making things right. That is what God will do. In our response, we really have a choice. We can respond to God's righteousness we can respond in the proper way with humility before God and receive mercy and grace. Or we can continue down our self-destructive path and receive wrath and judgment. That's really the two responses that we have. Now, as we think about taking refuge, this is what David's going to get to. And I think this is what we can look at and apply in our own lives. He wants to take refuge in God. But we need to take pause for one second and think about who God is. If we're going to take refuge in God, we need to do so with some sense of awe and reverence, realizing the righteousness of God and our own sinful state. This is something that you don't go into flippantly. And so taking refuge in God also entails the idea of going before him. Think of being before the throne of God and how one should behave. I was reading recently from one scholar and he was talking about how he loves that in the church where he attends, there's always a corporate confession of sin and repentance in their worship. His point is he believes that all worship uh, should include some time of repentance. Yes, times of praise and adoration, but also a time of realizing who we are, that we are sinners in need of grace. And I think he's owned to something there that we do need to know that we are sinful, but we also need to know that we're forgiven. And so going into God's presence actually helps us from the consequences of our own sin. It saves us. As we take refuge in God, he saves us from ourselves. I think of the song, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. You, know, you may think of hiding in the cleft of a rock and God is hiding me and covering me. But if you think deeper about that song, you get 
into some of the lyrics. Think about one of the more beautiful lyrics of that song. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. When I take refuge in God, the blood of Jesus covers my sin, saves me from the wrath that I deserve, and God truly becomes a refuge. So coming into God's presence should always force us to be sober, self-reflective, and evaluate our situation. What have we done wrong? This is probably a good exercise every time before we come to prayer and before our Lord to do some self-reflection. What have I done in this last day? Who have I wronged? What are the things I need to go back and make amends about? The harsh words I've said, all the horrible things I've said. I need to go and make amends for those. And I need to confess those before the Lord and come and take refuge where God is going to save me from me, not just my enemies. God does indeed offer refuge that we can depend on, but being able to stand within the protective embrace of the Almighty God is not the assured result of our spiritual perfection and pride. That's not how it works. It's instead the consequences of our recognition of our bankruptcy spiritually, our sin, and our total capitulation to the immeasurable grace of our Lord and Savior. We bow the knee. We realize who we are. Think of what the woman of Tekoa said in 2 Samuel 14, 14. It's a beautiful passage. She said, God does not take away life. Instead, he devises ways so that the banished person may not remain estranged from him. See, God makes ways for us to come back into his presence. Now, that's in the Old Testament. But now we're talking about the new covenant where we know things others don't know. We know about the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And God creates the perfect way to come back into his presence or come into his presence for the first time. And this, ladies and gentlemen, is calls for hope and praise indeed. Thank you once again for tuning into the podcast this morning. Join us again tomorrow as we get back into the Gospels. God bless. Thank you.